Welcome to another Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper, Matt Eddy here today. We're back because we're going to do, we started with the NL East, now we're going to the NL Central. For every time we finish putting out a, uh, a list of our, all of our top tens for division, Matt and I are doing a draft. We're going to take away the number ones. We had a couple questions about that you know, I saw on Twitter. The number ones are off the board here. We will we'll briefly touch on them, but the idea is, is looking a little bit more, a little more deeper into this, not which number one do you rank the best. But looking at the number ones real quick as we kind of, we're jumping right into this. If we had, a, if the number ones were part of this, who, who, who's, who's getting taken number one? Uh, if it's me, I'm still taking uh, Oscar Tavares. Same here. Our number two preseason guy. Big lefty bat, field to hit, uh, plus power. Uh, Profile right fielder. I, I think, and we won't say this time. Last time with the NL East, we said all of the number ones would go off the board mm-hmm. before the first number two. That's not true here. Nope. That's not true. That's not even close to true. Jimmy Nelson, Brewers number one, I think would be around pick eight, nine, or ten of this draft. At best, I think it's probably mm-hmm. safe to say. I think so. I mean, Robert Stevenson, Gregory Polanco, Javier Baez, uh, Oscar Taveras, those guys would probably, I think, all go in the top six or seven picks at the most. Yeah, maybe top five. Top, maybe top, maybe there would be that, but Jimmy Nelson doesn't fit in that. But again, the rules that we go by with this is we're taking the number ones off the board. But after that, anyone in the top tens are available. We're doing these little dream drafts we do, and we're looking at long-term, you know, what you're saying is is, Okay, if we looked at these teams, not what they're going to do this year, but what we're talking about is, you know, who would you rather have over essentially the, I can't say the totality of career, over the next six major league years and beyond and all that. But, um, so I get the first pick this time. Matt had the first pick last time. And I think it's a pretty easy first pick. It is. Chris Bryant is, Chris Bryant was oh so close to being the number one prospect in the Cubs system. I think you really can say it was 1A and 1B. In the end, John, you know, we've all talked to John about this. John Manuel wrote our Cubs top 10. In the end, Javier Baez hitting 37 homers as for as a 20-year-old while playing shortstop and doing half that damage in A ended up edging out an amazing season, first pro season, an amazing college season for Bryant. But you've got one guy who's playing shortstop and is going to, if he can't stay there, he's going to slide her to third versus another guy who plays third now and may have to slide to the outfield. I think that ended up being kind of the differentiating factor. Baez being number one is my game because I get to pick first. I'm taking Bryant and some of the best power in the minors. You know, easy pick for the first pick. But here's the question. What if Bryant had ranked number one? Does Baez, is Baez still 1-1 for you? In this yeah, I'm taking Baez then. Okay. I'm taking Baez. I, really, if you... If you were worried about Baez, you want to see him. He's got to cut down the ears, but that's fine. That's that's true of a lot of young shortstops. And you want to see a little bit more plate discipline, a little less swing. Yeah, I don't mind even the swing and miss, but you'd like to see a few more walks to go with the swing and miss. Pitchers have to respect him. They respect his power. Right now he's so aggressive that he doesn't take some walks that are given to him. That's but I'm nitpicking because really I'd love to have higher you know I'd be quite happy having Javier Baez the number one pick as well. Would yep. that be true for you too? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little tougher now. Now Matt's got the number two pick, and, and there are a couple of good options at number two. There are, um, and I'm going to go with uh, Jamison Tyone, the Pirates right-hander. I'm going to trust the profile. He hasn't dominated in the minor leagues, maybe to the extent that you'd expect, given his repertoire. Uh, but six-six right-hander with two plus pitches. 
pretty good feel for uh, a kid out of high school. I mean, he's he and Josh Beckett are the only right-handers to go two overall in a draft, high school right-handers, since, I don't know, last 25 years. So he's a pretty special talent, and uh, I'll give him a spin here. Yeah, and, and his, you're right, his numbers have been good, not in, sensational. I, the one thing, I, if you're a Pirates fan, that jumps out a little bit is, is that somewhat can be said also of Garrett Cole before he hit yeah. the big leagues. That's and fair. and Cole has Cole's actually been really better in the big leagues than he was for much much of his minor league career. Yeah, it's a different profile for time. Right. I mean, there's, there's no 80s on his score scorecard, but um, you know, a couple 60s, maybe 65s. Um, third pick, I'm going back to the Cubs. All right, C.J. Edwards. C.J. Edwards, skinny, very skinny right-hander, but a skinny right-hander with plus stuff and uh, to go with it, uh, excellent feel. The thing that we've, the thing that we probably kept track of, one of the stats we kept track of most this season was every time C.J. Edwards picked out, pitched, I wanted to see did he give up a homer, and I mean that because it was like what 150 pro innings before he ever gave up a home run. In a, yep. and it was in, after the trade to the Cubs, I believe. Yeah. It was in high A. He never gave up a home run as a Ranger. It, it's a pretty amazing, uh, uh, just a pretty amazing package. The only real blemishes with him. The concerns all revolve around, is he going to be able to hold up as with that skinny frame and all? He's not a guy, he has a frame, but a lot of people think he's not going to add weight, really. Because it's just that kind of, oil Cam Boyd never added weight. That, right. that kind of frame. Slender shoulders. Slender shoulders. It's not something where you say, just wait till he you know fills out. No, this very well may be the body he has. That being said, I'll, I'll take it, and I'm quite happy to take it. So, we're now back to Matt with pick number four. Okay, I'm... Uh... I'm going to take another right-handed pitcher. I'm going to take uh, Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals. Now, here's a guy where you can point to a couple 70s. And, uh, and I was going to say, fastball maybe an 80. Maybe an 80. If it's, it's 99 is best. You wonder if he, if he ever will go back into the rotation, but even if he doesn't. You know, On your team, is he in the rotation? I don't know. Um, I, I think you would definitely have to exhaust that possibility because his control is actually pretty good for a, for a Latin right-hander who throws as hard as he does. So... I mean, like Edwards, you worry about the durability. He's not a big guy, but I would probably give him a spin in the rotation. I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do, but he's my pick at number two. Okay, so for the fifth pick, my third pick, I'm going back to the Pirates. Pirates. I think this does not surprise you because I'm a <laughs> I'm a big Tyler Glasnow fan. Um, probably the biggest in the office. I, I've I did the Sally League list. Um, really enjoy kind of watching him pitch. I, he's the he is the ceiling pick. I'm probably going to come back a little bit less uh, risk coming forward, but he's the high ceiling, high risk. He, he's only pitched an A ball. He didn't even qualify. I, I've told this story probably on the podcast before, but he didn't qualify for any league leader list or minor league leader list right. because even though he really didn't miss time, he because of his control problems at times, he was only going for you know three, four, five innings. So he ended up two thirds of an inning short of what he needed to qualify. That being said, if he had, that 142 average against would have blown away anyone else in the minors. No one else in the minors was within 35 points of that. And no one, there have been very few pitchers in the minors in the last 10 years who've come close to limiting hitters. <laughs> the number, the stat jumps out. 54 hits allowed in 111 innings. Now, he also did allow 61 walks. But <laughs> I was going to say, if you turn three of his walks into, into just outs in play, he qualifies for yeah, the guard time. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> but I don't, I'm not as surprised with that because, again, he's 6'7". He's a 6'7 pitcher who doesn't have a whole lot of uh, innings under his belt. 
I expect. Right now, what you're seeing is, is like, as you watch him pitch, it's like locates, locates, loses it. And when he loses on a pitch, sometimes it's like, okay, the catcher's jumping up to get it's. He just can't. He can't repeat the delivery um, every time out, every pitch, and that's really to me not that surprising for a young six foot, very long levered six foot seven pitcher. But those long levers also are part of what's going to make him really tough to hit because, for one, his extension means that the ball's coming out from a lot closer than it feels like. And when he's locating, he can also get, he can elevate and he can ex- get excellent downhill playing with, by the way, a plus, you know, a plus fastball. Yeah, uh, you know, Alex Meyer is not in this division, but he's somebody who's kind of keep, yeah. keeping an eye out for the same and reasons. There, yeah, yeah. Meyer's even a little taller than, uh, than Glasnow. But the thing I come back to is is that Glasnow is I feel like he's not where Meyer is. Meyer's in you know pitching double A but at Meyer at Glasnow's age, his location was way worse. Hmm. I feel like than Glasnow's was. But good point. Yeah, good guy to bring up. Yeah, if you if you talked on the podcast about just the history of really tall pitchers in the majors, no, I think I think it's an interesting and how we couldn't find anybody who was really quite like Glasnow. Could we? It was, it was really hard. The guys who are taller than six six or so are guys like John Roush. Um, we, we, should, we should come back with more info on this. Right, we, we looked at it. Uh, I remember sitting down at Clint's desk and we were looking at it, and it was it was hard to find a whole lot of analogs to it because a lot of relievers, as I, as a I lot of relievers. But uh, the the guy you always come back to, be, but he's really the outlier. Is is he always you know? And Todd Glass is not as big as him, and he throws right handed. But is Randy Johnson? Like Randy Johnson was a guy who that's your. Not that Tyler Glasnow is going to become Randy Johnson, but that's your best case scenario from the standpoint of Randy Johnson's control was like, okay, doesn't have it, doesn't have it, it's getting a little better, it's getting a little better. And really, it was in his late 20s that is really the point where, where Johnson, it started to click in for him as far as being right. able to locate. And by the time he was in his mid-30s, he really had pretty good control. He's just a freak. Yeah, um, but he's an outlier. It's like, like saying the best... Super tall pitcher in the majors today is probably Doug Fister. He's six eight, I believe. Yeah. So, but that's a, a completely different pitch profile from Glasnow. Right. And the funny thing is, is Fister, Fister's probably if you said which pitcher in the big leagues who's had success was least heralded, you know, yeah. we he didn't make a top th- a top thirty, you know, coming up for us. Um, and you look back at it like yeah, he should have. I mean, in hindsight, you know, we'll say okay, you know, we're we're not. We, we, we want to be perfect. We're not perfect on this. But in hindsight, there weren't a whole lot of years where he was really that close. Um, and it all seemed to come. He is a guy who it came together a little bit. He, he was a pitcher, but it did get better and better as he kind of learned his body. So a nice little Tyler Glasnow digression, but uh, that puts the ball back in your court, Matt. Okay. I think I'm going to go back to the Cubs and take uh, center fielder Albert Elmora, who ranked number four on this list. Uh Kind of a risky pick, good performance prospect, but you know it's not a guy with pluses on his scorecard. Though he is regarded as a plus defensive center fielder, even with and, and the numbers bore that out this year. He recorded a ton of putouts. Even with yeah, it's gonna say speed. His speed is not exceptional, but his defense in center is, mm-hmm. which it's a very strange combination. It, yeah, it, it's one of those. I mean, you hear it, but it is true with him. The jumps, he just gets really good jumps, and. The best way to put it is, is there's a lot of really speedy center fielders who, okay, yeah, but if your first two steps are in the wrong direction, you don't cover. I mean, that, that cuts the, right, the amount of ground you cover very significantly. 
Yeah, so there's some, there's a lot of risk here because there's no carrying tool, so he could be reserve profile as he as he moves up. But uh, for now, he looks good in low A. I'm taking him. And and I do think long term for him, he's in a perfect organization for him to develop. In in that, if you if the Cubs hitters develop like they should, we just talked about Bryant. We're going to talk, probably talk about Jorge Soler, in, you know, in a minute. If those guys develop like they should. Hmm. You're not, they're not going to ask him. You're not talking about a guy who's asked to bet three-hole, four-hole, five-hole. Yeah. He, ideally, for them, is going to be the perfect you know, top or maybe even the two-hole hitter. Like, like a right-handed hitting David DeJesus type of guy, almost. But a better defensive player. Right. A center... Uh, a, a, an on-base geared center fielder. An on-base geared center fielder who's a lot... You know, hit 300, 370, 425. I mean, that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and, and scores a lot of runs. Not gonna steal a ton of bases, no. but no, I think you you look at it, you add it all up, and it's a, it's a pretty good package. But it is something that it is. Yeah, it's not your traditional when you think of elite prospects. Yeah, there's definitely some other guys I was looking at, but I like Elmore. Okay, now I'm gonna go with another one of the. Uh, is it a I, cheese ball? Yeah, see, I don't know. Billy Hamilton's too out there to be a cheese ball, and I have some <laughs> concerns about his bat. You know, but I am going to go Billy Hamilton. Who, there, I'm not there. There's no one if, on my little fake team here. There's no one I'm going to enjoy watching more. I'll put it that way. He's the most. He is the most fun guy I've watched on a baseball field. Well, no, no, Since no. Otis Nixon. No, no, no. I take that back. Byron Buxton's the most fun. He's second in a long time. Um, you know, and there's some other guys who've been really fun watching. I don't know about if jo- watching Joey Gallo play a game is as fun <laughs> as watching Joey Gallo take BP. Yeah. Joey Gallo BP is just one of those experiences that has to be, you know, you have to see it to believe it. But I'm going to take Hamilton. One of the things I like is, is you know, we got Billy Hamilton OF here, you know, outfielder. It really, he's an outfield. I think at this point you really could consider him, he's an outfield second baseman. I know he hasn't played a whole lot of second base, but mm-hmm. I've said it before on, you know, on Twitter, JJ Coop 36 if the Reds trade Brandon Phillips, I think there's a pretty decent chance that, that Hamilton will play a lot of games at second base for them next year, in part because mm-hmm. the Reds don't have almost any other options at second base, and in part because I, I think it's it, they have other, even on the team right now, they have if they didn't make any other moves, they have other center. Chris Heisey could play center field for them. Hamilton's big concern when it comes to him defensively when he was in the infield was he has a really low arm slot for a shortstop. It meant his accuracy of his throws a lot of times was not there. Well, that's not nearly as much of a problem at second base. And, and they, make the runners slide early in their double plays. Right. You know, and and the reality of it is is that I think offensively he has the same, you know, he's the same gonna be the same guy either way, but I do think second base is a position where if he puts the same up lineup that he does, it if he's a, a above average second baseman defensively mm-hmm. or an above average center fielder, there's not a whole lot of difference there as to how much value he's giving you defensively. He comes one step uh, closer to fulfilling my prophecy of him being Luis Castillo. That's he, he, a little a little closer. <laughs> I, I, the thing that always I want to give credit on this before is is talking to Lino De Shields, his manager. Um, Really, for two years in uh, in Dayton, and then the next year in Bakersfield, and Delano DeShield, who was a shortstop who moved to second base, saying, "I think long term this guy's a second baseman." And the reason I say that is, is I think it really will unlock his ability offensively in a lot of ways too, because it did that for me. Once I got off a of shortstop, he said, "Don Shield said second base 
way easier. <laughs> Knock the ball down, throw it to first. Whereas in shortstop, you're the quarterback of the infield. You know, every play is tough and all that. It's like I just can't. You know, I, I think long term, this guy's a second baseman. Maybe that won't be. Maybe I mean he's he's going to be uh, potentially Gold Glove center fielder or. Uh, maybe an above-average second baseman, but he's like the opposite of Almora. I mean, there's there's pluses on there that you're not concerned that his tools won't play. His oh, speed and his defense will play in the majors. Right, his no speed, question about it. We've we've already seen that. Like, I, it is different. September forty-man, you know, roster expanded baseball is different than regular, you know, than the normal grind of baseball. But that being said, right then you saw already how many guys can impact a game. Like you say, okay. We've all seen a lot of fast guys come through the game, and the reality is, is that you go, okay, well, that guy actually isn't as valuable as maybe thought. This is, this is a rare case in that his speed actually does make a significant impact on the game. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many guys who can say that about. Yeah, I remember Tom Cochran saying that in the Pioneer League in 2010. Was he yeah, in the Pioneer League? 29. Oh, 10. No, uh, he was a, uh, a second-round second in 09. Played GCL that year. In 2010. 2010. Yeah, so yeah. 2010. Yeah, okay. So back to back to Matt. I'm um, going back to the Cubs. Jorge Soler. This is still, I mean, <laughs> and I, I really thought about taking Soler with my last pick. You're you're going with the uh, hey, Soler could end up being a significantly better player than Hamilton. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more risk there, I think. Oh, there's a ton of risk, <laughs> but the tools are profile right field tools. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, as John is is fond of saying, the Cubs have three 80 raw power prospects in Soler, Bryant, and uh, Javier Baez. And a 70 raw, I think, in Dan Vogelbach as well. There you go. <laughs> but I'm going to take Soler. You know, he's, he's got half a season in high A. He's got some, some makeup questions. Um, but I think I think the, the bat potential is too uh, too loud to ignore. No, I, I can see that. And if that all works out, I mean, he's not Yasuo Puig. He's no, not. No, he's not. And But, but is he Cespedes? But he, I guess the thing I was going to come back to is, is that a year ago, there wasn't thought to be a massive separation of the two. They're both prototype right fielders if it all, all the tools come together. The thing that Solaire doesn't have is, is that the, the, the extreme athleticism that mm-hmm. Puig has. Puig, Solaire's, okay, Solaire's not turning in four flats to first, you know, four oh fives. I was going to say, but then you can all make a joke. Yeah, you're getting four threes, four fours for Solaire because sometimes it's like I had a scout say, like, Running to first base, you know, felt like it seemed like it, it, it was a, a chore to him. <laughs> it was optional. Yeah. So I mean, that's the concern with, with right. Solaire. Yeah, I agree. At, at this point, there are still some really solid guys to pick on, on the board. I, you know, <sighs> I'm going Philip Urban next. Okay. This may be because I do the Reds list, but I really I thought about him. I really have pretty strong convictions that Philip Irvin is going to hit. I don't have much worry about that. If you, you know, again, I'll get the disclaimer. You've heard it before if you listen to the podcast. I'm not a scout. I don't pretend to be one. That being said, we've, we've all been around the game a long time. We've talked to scouts about these things. Philip Irvin has a very simple swing. It's very direct. It's with excellent hand-eye, and he has some power. And Philip Irvin has produced with that swing. Philip Irvin's hit over 300. Pretty much everywhere that he's gone and picked up a bat. He did it as a freshman. He then went summer league and did it. He did it as a sophomore. He went to the Cape and he was a Cape League MVP. He did it as a junior. Then he goes to the Reds. He does it at two levels with the Reds. Everywhere Philip Irvin's ever gone, he's hit. 
you can have some questions. The, the really the concern I have with Philip Urban is is also everywhere that Philip Urban's gone, he's gotten hurt. It's often a minor injury, but he's had very few times in his career where he's been a hundred percent healthy. To his credit, a lot of times he plays through the injury. But like with the Reds, they never this summer saw he had an ankle problem that he had when he signed. Then he had a, a, a wrist problem at the end of the year. You know, he had some hamstring problems. They said, we didn't see always the speed that we think's in there because he was battling these injuries. That's the only concern I really have. We want, you want to see long-term, okay, is he a center fielder whose range was a little bit diminished this year because of the injuries, or is he going to end up being a corner? I think he has enough arm to play right field. Well, he's not going to do the Reds probably unless for several years with Jay Bruce out there. But... That's my concern with him is, is where is he going to play? Because he, if he's a center fielder, the rest of his tools, if he's a center fielder and can really play center field, the rest of his tools become really loud. If he's a corner, then it still could be very solid. But if he's a 300 hitter with some pop, that's, that looks a lot better as a center fielder than it does as a right fielder. Yeah. Okay, now back to Matt. Okay, I'm going to kind of balance out the risk of the uh, Solaire selection and take Colton Wong, second baseman of the Cardinals. Uh, like Almora, you're not going to see any 60s on his card. But this year he did add speed to his portfolio. I think he went 21 for 22 on steals, if I'm not mistaken. And 20 for 21. And uh, he's got good plate discipline, lefty bat, enough glove to play second. Yeah, a very solid, unspectacular guy yeah. is a way to put it. I mean... I think sometimes people think because he was a first-round pick, oh, this guy you know has has stardom written on. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really a whole lot of stardom there. I don't think there's any expectation of it. It's much more that he's going to be a solid big league regular. I, that leads me to my next pick, which I'm going to go off a guy who I think is a little riskier but has more upside more at upside. second base. Arzmendi Alcantara. I'm um, actually this is the first time that we've flipped the or- we've gone outside the order. Mm-hmm. Arzmendi Alcantara is number seven on the Cubs list. Pierce Johnson six. Maybe we may see him picked in a minute. But I really am an Alcantara fan. I think that he has more power mm-hmm. than the average middle infielder. Combines with you know I, I love the fact switch hitter um, and a legit switch hitter, not someone who you know who who switch hits and just can't hit one side but he can hit the other. Um, I, I think he's better second base long term than shortstop. Although I think if you had to, you could play with shortstop. It's not gonna they're not gonna have to with the with the Cubs, but. I think he's pretty close to ready to be. I think he ends up being kind of a, a top of the order hitter, you know, because he's a second baseman. I think a lot of t- traditional managers say, "Hey, you're a two hole hitter." I think he could be that. I think he could lead off. He you know stole 31 bags this year, hit 15 homers in Double A. You're talking about a guy who, who's going to play all next year as a uh, uh, a 22 year old, you know, and really may make the majors as a 22 year old. I'm a big Arzmendi Alcantara fan. Yeah, that's a great pick. I kind of got bogged down by the numbers on the Cubs, seeing Pierce Johnson in between. But so you're having your buyer's remorse. I'm having buyer's remorse. I think mm-hmm. I'd rather have Alcantara than uh, Wong. Well, back, back to you. You get to make up for that by because how many more picks getting, we got? Uh, let's see. So that's uh, let's do two more rounds. Two more rounds. Right? I, I mean, I feel like they're still. Yeah, they're, let's, let's no. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna keep picking until we pick a Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. That may be a little while, but continue. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm going back to the Cardinals. I'm taking uh, Stephen Piscotty, right fielder, finished the year in Double A. 
Uh, somewhat similar to Solaire, but not as explosive and a little more fundamentally sound. It's got pretty good juice. Not not the 30 home run potential Solaire has, but a uh, good bet to be an on-base, good arm. Okay. Just, just solid hitter. I, that's one I would not... I, I would, I would, he would be on my board a little while longer. Um, if I'm looking at... Uh, you know, like, if I'm looking at outfielders, and I, there's some questions about his defense, you know, like... Well, I'm, I'll save that because I'm not picking him yet. Not picking him yet. And I may take him. I may take him in a minute. I'm going back to the Cubs. I'm taking Pierce Johnson, my next pick. Okay. I did flip it the last one, but I, I do think Pierce Johnson, um, it, it was very fun watching him pitch this year. He, he knows what he's doing with really some very solid stuff. Him and him and Edwards are very important to the Cubs' development because they don't have a whole lot of arms in that system, you know, especially potentially starters. I think Johnson will be ready to do that before too long. Uh, I think that he's a guy who, very solid, I think he's probably a 3-4 down the road, but a pretty good likelihood of reaching that. And mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with him, as adding adding him to the Cooperstown bound. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. Okay, now it's, now it's getting a little dice here. Um, so we've got Austin Meadows still on the board. I know yeah. that's not your kind of pick. Nick Kingham. Well, actually, I was thinking of taking Meadows next. Uh, <laughs> my third corner outfielder to go with to go with Piscotty and Solaire. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Meadows. Left-handed hitting uh, first-round pick of the Pirates this year. Um, the the scary thing is is he's got kind of a rough Jeremy Hermida profile. There's, but the funny thing is, is like Jeremy Hermida is a guy I could never explain why... It all fell apart. Like I've never had a good explanation for it. Like Jeremy Hermida was the the two guys. Like Big Reeve, at least I've heard explanations for. But Jeremy Hermida arrived at the big leagues as a highly touted prospect, produced, and then it all fell apart. Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, have you ever heard a good explanation for what happened with Hermida? I guess not. I mean, you know, just if you're not going to hit for big time power, the pitchers are going to challenge you more. But like, it was like such a big part of his game is just his walk rate it, in the minors. It's funny. I still need to answer this. I got a question from someone a couple days ago on Twitter, and I've not gotten around to answering. I apologize about that. But it was a question that said, "How sure are you about Oscar Tavares' hit tool?" And the answer I've thought about is haven't written down yet. Is I mean, about as sure to me, Oscar Tavares' hit tool is about as sure thing as I would put him as, in my personal opinion, the second safest hit tool in the minors. Uh, and the one I put ahead of him is Byron Buxton, who, you mm-hmm. know, it, but and, I, and you could really argue that Tavares has a safer hit tool. He's produced all the way up to Triple A. Mm-hmm. That being said, the the caveat to that is is that Jeremy Hermida was an extremely safe hit tool when he hit the big leagues. I mean, like that was what he did. He hit for average. He got on base, and it fell apart for him. It's never you can never say with one hundred percent certainty for anyone. You know, I mean, there's always things you can't. Ex- Unexpected things can happen, um, but uh, but no, I, I see what you're saying though. Like that that profile does get a little bit concerning. The thing that Meadows did do this year, though, we'll have to see if he continues. Didn't hit for power at all as an amateur and mm-hmm. his senior year, and then really did hit for power as a pro. Mm-hmm. So we have to see can he keep that up? I mean, seven home runs, five of which come in the GCL. Five home runs in the GCL will put you among the league leaders. Yeah, it was a great debut. So I'm glad you took him though. Because then I can take Jesse Winker, who, <laughs> again, is another outfielder who I feel very, pretty confident about his hit tool. Jesse Winker can hit. He can get on base. 
he, he can hit for average and get on base. He has some pop. He likes to go opposite field. Right. Really, the concern with him is, is he a below average left fielder? In another organization, maybe he ends up being a, a first baseman. Not going to happen when you're when your first baseman signed through, uh, you know, the next uh, sometime in the 22nd century. You know, it's not going to happen with the Reds. But, but I really feel again quite comfortable about his ability to hit, and that is the most important part of of being, uh, especially a, a, a position player at a hit first position. So I, I'm quite happy with the, the Winker pick. Are you going Brewers yet? Maybe I should just so we can end this. <laughs> <laughs> But the question is, which brewer? Do you take the, the tooled-up center fielder in low A, or do you take the uh, 2012 yeah, first-round sup pick who got up to high A this year? I, I hate to say it, but... didn't hit very well. I hate to say it. If I'm looking at it right now, Nick Kingham or Alan Hansen, if I can have a, a, a middle infielder who has some, some significant tools, it, I, I'm not going the brewer route yet. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe I'll save the brewer effect to my, my next one. And just uh, go ahead and take Kingham here. Continue the run on Pirates. Yeah, I mean, again, solid, very... He's not a glass, no, he's not a Tyone, but he's a very nice complimentary piece to fit in because he's he's not that far away from the big leagues. And you throw that in with... You know, I, I could see him being a number... I could see him being a, a very solid member of the Pirates rotation in 2015. Mm-hmm. Is he... Far behind Pierce Johnson for you? Are they different, no. different classes? Or are they no, similar? No, I think they're similar. Uh, I think you could argue maybe that uh, maybe that Johnson has a little bit more ceiling, but not much. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it's a whole uh, a whole lot of different. I think his fastball is a little firmer. Um, I, I think that his uh, his breaking ball maybe a little bit you know a little bit sharper, but Kingham. I think Kingham may have a little bit more feel for pitch, uh, you know. Probably better health track record too. Yeah, that that too. So you take Kingham. I'm coming back. I'm taking Alan Hansen. Hansen. I, I like my infield, uh, to be honest. I, I you know I've got. I, I don't know if Hansen really, really. I've probably got a couple too many second basemen because <laughs> um, I got Brian at third. I've got uh, Alcantara at second, and that means probably Alan Hansen playing shortstop on my little fictional team here. But I, I think maybe he ends up being a second baseman long term. I do think he's going to be a regular. Um, I don't. I think it's a pretty safe bet he's going to be a regular, and I think it's it's funny. Like if you went rewound the clock just a year, a little over a year and a half ago, he was the guy who was having the breakout season in West Virginia. I know. Yeah. By the way, was this this Polanco guy over there who was pretty interesting too. Yeah, but scouts told us right from then. Yeah, Polanco was the guy to watch. Polanco was the guy. I remember. I remember when I was doing uh, midseason top fifty stuff, and it was like. Even then, you had a couple of scouts who were like, maybe I'm crazy, but to me, Gregory Polanco is a top 50 prospect game right now. And we ended up putting him on the list of, you know, let's just hold on a little bit longer. Because really, Polanco had not produced before last year, and this was essentially he had two and a half months, two months of production. Now we don't have any real concerns about that. Polanco is a top 20 prospect at, at least. But Hansen still is a very intriguing prospect in his own right. In a, they traded away Dilson Herrera uh, last year in the Mar, in the Marlon Bird trade. I think in part because they could trade away Dilson Herrera, who's a solid prospect in his own right, but without any huge concerns because Alan Hansen's better. Mm-hmm. So, more, and more advanced presently. Yeah, and and really, a little bit of time in Double A last year. He's going to need to probably go back there this year. But 
by 2015, he, you know, you could see him in Pittsburgh. So back to you. Are you going Brewers? Well, <laughs> you just took Hanson, and I just took Kingham, and there's still a couple more interesting Pirates on here. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think Josh you know, Bell and Reese McGuire are both. In good faith, I don't know that I could take, at this position, a Brewer. I, I think, I mean, if you're putting Josh Bell versus Tyrone Taylor or Mitch Haniger, I, I think you got I mean, Bell's upside's bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take um, Josh Bell, the uh, switch-hitting uh, center fielder in, in, for low A who... Set a second round bonus record in the and 2011 draft that will never be broken. No, it, I guess theoretically it could, but it would be someone who would have to basically build their entire draft just around signing <laughs> a second round pick, which makes no sense at all. None. <laughs> so, you know, he's got a mulligan year in 2012. He was injured. Um, and last year he was fairly good. I don't know that the tools jump off the page, but I think he's, he's a good, good all around player. Probably not a center fielder. I think that's the consensus. Yeah, if I mean, it is he didn't play it. I mean, he, you know, really, they had Barrett Barnes out there in, in West Virginia. All right, so I was wrong about that. But it's another corner outfielder for the for the pile. And the Pirates in the long term, it's fascinating. I mean, it's – okay, so you're going to add Polanco at some point before too long. Mm-hmm. So then you're going to have three legit center fielders playing in the outfield for the Pirates where you're going to have Marte – uh, you know, McCutcheon and Polanco. Polanco play right, I'm surely. Marte will play left. And then, long term, you're going to have add to that if everything goes the way they hope. You're going to add Austin Meadows and Josh Bell. That's going to be... And Harold Ramirez. And Harold Ramirez. Moves a long ways away. But So now, if we're looking... Let me check my Cubs list here again. You know, <laughs> I think we have hit the point where I could take a Brewer. Um... Our choices are you could look at taking Dan Vogelbach, Heimer Pinellario with the Cubs. You could take Jorman Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen with the Reds. Um, our options are, you know, Reese McGuire with the, uh, with the Pirates. But uh, a catcher in his first full year, even with good, that's, that's a risky, a very risky uh, uh, approach. You could go Marco Gonzalez, a pretty, uh, you know, a, a left-hander should move pretty quickly. I do think at this point I can take Tyrone Taylor. Woo. I'm taking Tyrone Taylor. So, uh, I, and it's not, I think Tyrone Taylor could be a pretty interesting prospect. Uh, you know, when I was doing Midwest League, the Midwest League top 20, he didn't make, he was a, a guy who, you found a lot of guys who liked him. Now, they didn't, they weren't blown away with him, but they liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, had a really good, had a great couple of months in the middle of the season. Tailed off a little bit, it felt like, at the end of the year. But can play center field. Um, you know, he fits, there's, he, I'll put it this way, if, you know, you believe he's a regular center fielder, you know, every, a center fielder defensively, there's not a whole lot of separation between him and Philip Irvin. I like Philip Irvin because Philip Irvin has a bigger track record of hitting, and I think Philip Irvin has a little bit more power, um, but there's not, I mean, that's not like there's this gaping canyon, but, so I guess though, I pick first. So that means you get to pick again. So I don't get one more. Another Brewer? You're another Brewer? Or are you going uh, Marco Gonzalez or uh, Reese McGuire or hmm. Jorman Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen? Or are you going Mitch Hannity? <laughs> Heimer Candelario, Dan well, Vogelbach? We can talk about the merits of Jorman and, um, and Hanniger. But, you know, I think at this point I would probably shoot the moon for McGuire to get the Lefty hitting catcher with without without that. a lot of defensive questions. You know, he's a long way from the majors. 
But you know, there's a reason he went in the first round, and uh, he's always been pretty well regarded from the defensive standpoint. So to recap, which allows him to work on some of the subtler aspects, mm-hmm. game calling and, and working on his hitting. Right, and we said catchers don't get don't get freaked out at all if Reese McGuire is hitting 200 <laughs> two months of the season next year. There's a whole lot that catchers have to deal with. I mean, just really don't. I mean, that's catchers just take a long time to develop at the plate. Um, if he's hitting 300, okay, get get pretty excited. <laughs> um, to recap, so we took six Cubs. All the way down to number seven, there's Mindy Alcantara. Good system. Three Reds. A Brewer. Uh, Sorry, we took a brief break there. We just found out about me breaking Randall Grytrek trade. I'm doing the Angels top 30, and uh, I admit I'm a little bit stunned right now because <laughs> it was going to be hard to find 30 as it was. It just took away my number two prospect. Um, it's going to be even a little harder. Um, but going back to it, we took seven Pirates. That's a, I mean, again, that's a Cubs and Pirates list are, are really pretty stacked. Really good. Uh, three Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, really stands out. I mean, I, I think that, again, this is what this exercise is about. I think we both agree the Cubs and the Pirates have the two best farm systems in the oh, yeah. Central, and it's not even close. Again, that's nothing. If you're a Cardinals fan, don't feel too bad about it. The reason yours is not at that level is, oh, yeah, by the way, six of your seven top of your top seven from last year's list, contributed in the big leagues this year yeah, significantly. These are the guys on the 25 and under list who are still 25 and under. Michael Waka, Shelby Miller, Trevor Rosenthal, Matt Adams, and Joe Kelly. Yeah, and Joe Kelly. So and five, Kevin, Kevin Segrist. And Kevin Segrist. Six members of your World Series roster are still younger than 25. And the first one to be ARB eligible will be Rosenthal. I don't know. Yeah, Rosenthal. Oh, Kelly. Kelly's got a couple of years. Yeah, you're right, Kelly. But, whew. <laughs> and we've talked about it, you know, I did an SBA about it not that long ago. Their pitching, their, pit, their young pitching depth is insane. You know, we talk about Carlos Martinez, will he start, will he leave? There are many organizations where you would be penciling Carlos Martinez in as a number three starter for next year and feeling pretty good about it, saying, look, Okay, there are concerns about his, you know, his build and all, but this guy's big league ready, and we're and really you in the back. They may not be saying it publicly, but in the back of their mind, they're thinking he's a lot better than a lot of these other starters we have. We expect him to really be our number three. You look at it with the Cardinals, and you say, unless they trade some guys, he doesn't fit in their rotation. They don't have room for him. Now you're going to have injuries at some point, but when you talk about a rotation that starts with Wainwright. That at this point, Michael Walker, after what he did, is you're very comfortable thinking of him as a number two, three. Mm-hmm. Shelby Miller was a rookie of the year candidate in a normal year. Mm-hmm. It was a great year for rookies in NL. In a normal year, if if you said 2013 rookie of the year Shelby Miller, looking at the year he had, that would not have seemed outlandish in any way, shape, or form. Am I? Am I? Would you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it was he was a very solid starter for a full season. Didn't even pitch in the big playoffs, basically. <laughs> but, you know, you've got them. Jaime Garcia, if he's healthy. Jaime Garcia, who they really need back because he's the only lefty of this group. Yeah, he's, he's good. And Joe Kelly's probably going to get in the rotation. Right. And really, you think that Lance Lynn probably is going to get... You, you have to think he's getting traded this offseason. He could be. So then the Cardinals could do something interesting with Martinez and try to look at him as a starter for 2015 by just giving him multi-inning work. 
But nobody or, manages that way anymore. In, or in the other life. idea is, is what about giving him multi-inning work and you think by the end of the season... He's in the rotation. You yeah. might, yeah. I mean, like, come September we'll put the rotation and he'll be fresh, relatively fresh, and we'll say, come out there and blow him away for, you know, five innings. Because that's the other thing. They've got a bullpen where they can say, okay, especially if you've got Wainwright Waka, Carlos Martinez is a perfect kind of guy to pitch in game three or game four of a playoff series. Mm-hmm. Because... You've got, at that point, a pretty rested pen, probably. And you say, okay, here you go. Whew. It's, it's a good situation. Uh, again, there, there are a lot, there are several organizations who right now are in really good situations. I know the Cubs, I know Cubs fans are probably very frustrated with the amount of wins they're getting at the big league level. It's not that far away from this team being very interesting to watch. And then we'll have to see if they can get enough pitching to become not just interesting to watch, but successful. That being said, the track record of these guys who are running things leads you to believe that they should have some success down the road. Mm-hmm. But, well, that's our NL Central Top 10 uh, Dream Draft podcast. We'll be back with the NL West in, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, probably right after the you know, winter meetings, we'll, we'll be doing that. Go Padres. I'll, uh, you know, I'll be, <laughs> I'm still a little stunned by losing Randall Gracek from my Angels Top 10. <laughs> uh, that was the number two, and... It was a drop-off pretty quick after that. Oh, man. But thanks again for the listen. Thanks for the download. I hope you're enjoying these uh, these Dream Draft ones. you got any questions about them, feel free to ask. Uh, you're now at Matt Eddie BA. Yes. And I'm at JJCoop36. Or you also can send emails. I'll ask you on the podcast as well. If you've got a question that you want to ask, I'm always looking for questions at askba at baseballamerica.com. Just ask ASKBA at baseballamerica.com. Include your name and your hometown. I love to get you know questions on that. We answer so probably on a two-week cycle right now because of I still have three top 30s to write for the handbook. But I'm working on another one of those for next week. So get your questions in for that, and I'll, I'll look forward to answering some of those. Thanks for the download. We will talk to you next week.